Uh, you're back here this Wednesday morning here on Mining Stock Daily. Uh, we await the Fed announcement later today. This recording is obviously happening a few hours before uh, the chairman, Fed Powell, is slated to speak with the Fed announcement. Uh, so we'll hopefully have some commentary on whatever excitement happens following that. Uh, but I do want to provide some further comment and market analysis from the mining sector before then. Happy to welcome in Bruno Kaiser, a good friend of the podcast in a former life. He was the head of mining and metals for Desjardins. Uh, Bruno, there's a lot to cover here. We're starting to get uh, the financials coming in from, from all realms of the mining cycle here. Uh, really what's sticking out here is the big boys, the big producers. Holy smokes. Uh, you know, operating costs, overruns, all in sustaining costs, overruns to produce those metals, specifically in the gold miners. I'm seeing up to $1,500 all in sustaining costs from a few. I, this is not pretty. You know, inflation is obviously hitting everywhere. Uh, but something, something has got to give for these for these miners to really get those margins back in line. You know, what are you seeing? What are the conversations you've been having amongst your colleagues and friends in the industry? Um, hi, Trevor, and thank you, and uh, and uh, happy to speak with everybody. Um, so, you know, this isn't the first time uh, that we've had this type of situation uh, arise in the space, and, and let's let's focus on the gold space because it, it presents itself with another interesting uh, sidebar uh, to the whole issue of cost. Um, I've, I've got to think for a second exactly when we faced this the last time. I want to say it was when the oil price started to run in the mid-2000s or so, and the gold price started to go at the same time. In this case, we had a bit of an advanced run with gold, and then energy followed. The, the issue with mining is, I mean, I apologize if I'm really sort of breaking it down into, as a former calculus professor of mine said, teeny steps for tiny tots, but you know, your, 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 your cost profile is a function of grade, productivity, and basically energy. Um, another huge overlay sometimes is for the foreign exchange component if you're not producing in, in U.S. dollars, if, if your production costs are not in U.S. dollars. Um, obviously, what we've seen, and this, is, this bites every individual personally as much as the mining companies, is the cost of energy. Um, and that goes into electricity and it goes into fuel. You know, mining is a highly energy intensive process to create whatever product it is because you're smashing uh, big rocks into pixie dust size um, uh, particles, and that takes a lot of energy. So when you have the energy price rise higher than your faster than your 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 selling cost, your your product selling cost, you're going to face that margin squeeze. And so where we've had the the oil price basically go up fifty plus percent in a number of months, um, it shouldn't be a surprise that we're seeing this. As a secular issue, over time, grades keep falling by definition almost because you're always going to mine your best grade stuff first. So on a global, and what I mean global, I mean planetary resource base, the resource grade will always be falling over time. And so you have to be more productive and you have to find means of um, of of using your energy more efficiently and and mining differently on a secular level but in the short term you can't do anything about that so you're a victim of energy prices and labor costs hmm. uh, let's, let's do talk about the labor costs is there a lot of this is really the hard stuff that goes in and like you said the energy and development the steel and things to construct mines yes. is obviously rising how about labor any sort of discussions on rising labor costs as well well um 
the, I think that is more jurisdiction by jurisdiction and whether mm -hmm. companies are unionized or not and whether they're facing pressure from unions. Um, you know, there's no question that in order to, there is generically a, a really low degree of unemployment in mining right now because we're still robust enough as a sector that uh, talented operating people, uh, particularly in well-established mining camps, like say, for example, the Great Basin in Nevada or the, the you know, the, 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 the Eastern Gold Belt from Timmins to Valdor in Canada or even in South Africa, wherever it is that you've got highly concentrated productive mines, you're going to have quality workforce that will be in demand and therefore uh, there is a rising labor cost too. We've seen that for some time now, which predated the, um, the rise in energy. But I think that right now the acute issue is the energy cost. Okay. If you are a CEO of a major miner, you know, what, are, what is, what, how do you tackle this, you know, in the short term? You know, what, what, what can one do? How, how, how are you managing your risk here? Well, in the short term, you know, that's an interesting question. I think if you're the CEO of a, of a mining company, you CFO as well, you should have had in place. And this I granted is, is a bit of backwards looking for some companies that I'm not going to single any particular company out because I, I can't, I can't do that at this stage. I don't have any numbers in front of me, but companies have to have had, if they're large enough, uh, energy price hedges in place to say, rather than I would, you know, be upset if I say hedged oil at, you know, 65 or $70 a barrel and it went down, I look bad. You, you look worse if your costs go up uncontrollably. So if you don't have financial risk mitigation plans in place and you're always just a victim of whatever the market throws at you from labor rates to electricity costs to byproduct uh, pricing or energy, then you're simply a poor manager, if you ask me. And I'd, I'd say that, unfortunately, a lot of the mining sector suffers from unsophisticated financial management. Mm, that's a fair point. How about jurisdictions? I mean, in this inflationary environment we have here, that's obviously hitting the miners. Uh, and we mentioned a little bit of where you're mining. Where where does a favorable jurisdiction look right now? I mean, I keep on thinking maybe a place like Africa that has a localized energy source and obviously uh, a little bit cheaper labor as well. I mean, does Africa look a little bit better than mining gold in Nevada or North America? Or, you know, what are your thoughts there? Uh, I think uh, I'm not really not skirting that question at all. But I think that if you're asking that question, it's really it, the question should be asked from the perspective of management board perspective, right? As opposed mm -hmm. to what the investor can switch around in terms of stocks. And from a management perspective, you're taking a point of view on an asset that you're wedded to for many years, if not decades. And so you have to take the long-term view on things. And that constitutes where where's the governance and the legal structure uh, in place? What's the quality of the education and the workforce? Um, um, and, and obviously the quality of the ore bodies and financial regulations around it, all of those types of things probably come ahead of what's the immediate cost. Because you could say, for example, and I remember uh, very poignantly an example where I was, I was working on a project in 2011 between a South American-based company and a Swedish-based company, and they were looking at merging. And off the top of your head, you would say, well, of course, the cost structure is higher in Sweden. You know, it's got very high cost labor force um you know the euro 
as opposed to a depreciating South American currency, various other things. But then when you looked at it on the granular level, you said, well, actually, you know, the labor laws were much more in favor of, you know, productive management in Sweden. There was a highly mechanized workforce versus a highly labor-oriented workforce. Um, and then there were fiscal things beyond just tax that made it actually in favor for the Swedish company to have in long term a more uh, low cost structure than the South American company, which would be, I think, counterintuitive to the first blush guess where you'd say, well, of course, you know, lower cost jurisdiction, uh, lower labor force rates, et cetera, and maybe access to energy. It's a, it becomes a complicated thing uh, from, from, uh, from a corporate perspective. From an investor's perspective, obviously, you have the ability to move in and out between uh, companies that have access to, you know, highly depreciating currencies, um, which would which would reduce their um, their operating cost basis, um, or access to energy and and things that in the short term you know might favor one company or mine over another. So I think the investor has the advantage in this case. No, no, that's a little bit of a silver lining, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, let's I, let's move down the chain here, and I do want to ask you about junior explorers Mm. and on the back of this this economic environment we have with rising rates there is a lot of concern people holding on to cash kind of wondering how this all plays out uh there's obviously we're seeing signs of slower growth globally so i want to ask you in an exploration with for an exploration company where it really depends on equity markets to go and raise money what are your thoughts here on challenges that a rising rate environment has on some of those financings and private placements? Um, you know, is it going to be just in this type of environment, is it going to be more difficult for a junior explorer to go to the market and raise and raise those monies? I think, you know, specific to, I mean, obviously there's, let me try to be generic about it enough so that we're not really just talking about today. The problem that gold stocks and exploration stocks face is um, they behave like stocks when you don't want them to, <laughs> right? And so, right. so, so while on the one hand you think gold is a is a is a risk hedge and counter uh, counter um, acting asset or what's the word I'm looking for sort of a, a, a negatively correlated asset and and therefore defensive, um, that can be the case for the metal. That doesn't necessarily translate into how the stocks behave because, um, you know, those decisions are then made by individuals who have these stocks and portfolios that are commingled with things that get margin calls and, and, and the general sense of market fear and greed, right? So I think if you look back over cycles, when you have great dislocation in the market, like I think we've seen generically in the last number of weeks, it impacts gold stocks and expiration stocks as much as anything. And then at some point in time on the upswing, there's an early kick, hopefully that happens where people say, okay, I think I've sensed a market bottom or I'm feeling risk friendly again, and they'll take those risks on. Right now, it is extremely difficult for juniors in particular to raise money because of the fact that they are stocks before they are gold stocks, if that makes sense. Um, and and on top of that, we have this prevailing trend that you and I have talked about many times over the last couple of years of the 
of the continuing trend of the effect of passive investing, which is shrinking the pool of institutional risk money available um, and and also driving individuals out of the market more towards funds, which then by definition become more um, more passive or ETF oriented. So mm -hmm. there's a shrinking pool of money. When it happens as a result, when you get these turns, they come in, in, in strong rushes and they may last shorter windows than they have in the past because you're forcing, you know, a smaller amount of, uh, you know, money velocity through a smaller hole, so to speak, if that makes sense. How about the implication of slower growth globally here? We're, we're seeing Dr. Copper, and I hate to go back yeah. to Dr. Copper, but it's really sticking out to me, and it has been for the last week. Uh, it, it's not The chart's not looking good now. If Dr. Copper is going to be the economic bellwether of you know what's going on globally, it doesn't look good, and now we're getting signs of slower growth all around. Mm -hmm. Do you have a feeling that maybe we could be in for a secular bear market within this larger bull market fundamental run here as we continue to build more infrastructure, electrify the world, that type of thing? So on that latter topic first, um, the degree of global conviction in following through on this decarbonizing our energy platform as I've said many times before, the more you move away from carbon, the more you move towards mining. So that all spells incredibly good things for the price of copper in particular, because there's no way that you're going to have an electric world without copper yet. I mean, I don't know what, you know, wizard fantasy science we have that can avoid that at, in the next decade or 20 years. So copper will be the underlying, you know, future oil, so to speak. We can talk about lithium and graphite and all these things that go into batteries. That's all fine, but energy still needs to be moved from one place to another. And right now we do that on copper for the foreseeable future. And and rebuilding the entire global infrastructure for energy transmission and energy creation is highly, highly, highly inflationary. And that's going to have its impact on the oil price and it's going to have its impact on copper. Now, you can abandon all of that pretty quickly <laughs> by saying we're just not doing this. And then you go back to copper being more driven fundamentally by old school industrial cycles. Um, the, the, the conundrum we have is we're actually at a pretty strong uh, labor participation, well, maybe not participation rate, but we're at a pretty low level of unemployment. So you would right. say that we are facing high levels of inflation, high levels of uncertainty as a result, but we're not actually facing this sort of stagnation or, or stagflation yet where we have decreasing uh, uh, decreasing employment and, and rising costs. So until we see that really manifest itself, I'm not so sure that we're in that much trouble. Okay. Very good. Uh, Bruno, what else is kind of on the back of your mind here in this space? Anything else you're pondering? What, what am I, what, what part of this picture am I missing? You know, what, what's, what should we be paying attention to? You know, the gold price, if that's where we typically focus our energies, like the, the industrial metals, they have they have far more logic and trail to them, right? right. The gold price is where I think that the the, the philosophy comes in. Um, you were talking about the Fed. Uh, you know, the, all the global balance sheets from a government fiscal perspective are sick. The global indebted rate and a lot of in, level of indebtedness is horrible, right? So. Globally, we can't tolerate that much rate rising before there's an impact on the value of assets because something has to get cut back. It's either the 
value of assets or the devaluation of them indirectly through inflation. And we're seeing a bit of a struggle and a tug of war between inflation and asset devaluation right now. So which central banks, the question is the game of chicken, which central banks are actually going to go furthest and first with rate rises and therefore changing the relative impact of their currencies? It, the gold price all hinges on the value of the US dollar, really. So if the dollar becomes strongest because others are getting weaker fastest, not because the dollar is intrinsically strong, then we're going to see a weak gold price, unfortunately, even though we're looking at these, this conundrum of having high inflation. So I think it's a, it's a bit of keep your eye on all of the central banks and what they're doing from a monetary policy perspective to see if there is a, um, you know, see how the game of chicken is going between banks at who's weakening their currency fastest. Well, interesting you mentioned central banks and gold because we are seeing a couple of those big central banks starting to go in and repatriate their gold mm -hmm. reserves from London and New York, which is quite interesting. It doesn't make, obviously, the cover of the New York Times by any means yeah. or any economic or financial publication, but it is worth watching. We've seen Australia do something of the like. France is doing something of the like. Uh, other country central banks are, have been adding to their gold reserves. Um, you know, maybe this will have a little bit of contagion part to it as we continue to have ch be challenged economically. Um, but I, I do think that is a story that's worth paying attention to. It, it absolutely is. And I think, unfortunately, if there's anything that at least I've observed as a lesson over the past you know, certainly it's in, since 2007, eight, is that what you expect to happen takes a lot longer than it should. Like you can play, <laughs> right. you can play through the game of logic and say, oh, this has to happen. And you expect to happen this year, but then it takes six years. Uh, and the pace, the glacial pace of, of forces and countervailing forces just, you know, I would have thought that we might be where we are now five, 10 years ago on the basis mm -hmm. of what, you know, what was done in 2007 and eight. But it, you know, stuff happens. <laughs> so I think that everything is setting itself up incredibly well for gold. But And then you look at it in the short term and you pound your head against the wall and go, why isn't gold rising? Well, the fundamental cases are still there. So you have to believe that at some point the dam cracks in it and it works in its favor. Yeah. Uh, Bruno, it's good to connect with you. It's been too long. And, Likewise, uh, Trevor, anytime. Yeah. And Thank I you. wish all your listeners the best and hope they are fighting inflation on a personal <laughs> level. Uh, and all the best to you and the family up there. I hope maybe you and I can go out and have a coffee or a beer when I'm in Toronto for PDAC. If you can pop your head downtown once again. Absolutely. Nice. All right, my friend. We'll see you next okay. month. Chat soon. Bye-bye. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.